Chapter 18 Why Are There So Many Megachurches? I was born again at the age of five when I had a very wonderful meeting with the Lord. So I grew up in the evangelical world. When I was eleven years of age, my family lived three city blocks from what was considered to be one of the largest churches in the United States, with about 5,000 members. At that time, an evangelical church with two or three hundred members was considered to be a very successful church. There are now over 1,200 megachurches in the United States. As I mentioned before, I lived through the period when megachurches were springing up everywhere. What caused this to happen? What produced so many megachurches? I personally witnessed that this phenomenon began in the 1970s. I have known ministers who recognize that enormous churches have been built on rock music, in other words, on the rhythm of drums, which is the foundation of rock music. Those ministers almost certainly did not realize that they were unconsciously declaring that those churches were built on the rhythm that Babatunde Olatunji brought to both the secular and religious worlds the rhythm that summons the presence of pagan gods of Africa, or, as Amos 6 states, the seat of violence. It is no coincidence that megachurches began to spring up like mushrooms all over the world in the 1970s when drums were incorporated into those churches, something that I witnessed happening. An article titled, Rise of Megachurches, confirms what I witnessed, declaring that, since the 1970s, the number of so-called megachurches has been exploding in the United States. For almost 50 years, I have observed that very often a relatively small congregation has grown into a megachurch once it incorporates drums and a rock band into its worship. I have also observed that relatively small congregations continue to be small if they do not bring drums into their church. I am not the only one who has witnessed the secret to the growth of megachurches. It has been confirmed by other sources also. One of those confirmations is an internet article titled, Largest Churches in America and How They Grew So Quickly. Two of the main reasons the article gives are, one, growing churches tend to appeal to a younger generation. Two, the music is modern with some Christian rock music performances. Precisely, modern music is what appeals to modern young people. As we have already discussed, by definition, modern or contemporary music is not the type of music that the Tabernacle of David employed in its worship of the Lord 3,000 years ago. David was a man who entered into the presence of God and received an enormous amount of inspired Scripture. As we have seen, he received most of the book of Psalms from the Holy Spirit. It is the largest book in the Bible. It was the hymnal that God Himself gave to His people, Israel, through David and other prophetic people. In David's tabernacle, the Psalms were the songs that they sung. They came from God and were sung to God. They were not music from young people, and they were not sung to attract young people or anyone else. They were sung to attract the presence of God, so that he would feel at home in that tabernacle. He felt at home there simply because the music and worship of that tabernacle was patterned after heaven's music and worship. 
No wonder God declared that David's tabernacle would be his eternal dwelling place, because the type of place that David prepared had already been God's dwelling place in heaven since before the creation. David did not invent it. Rather, he received it by revelation. After all, the Psalms are part of the eternal Word of God, and they will never change, and they do not need to be modernized. Heaven is not in the business of changing God's ways or His Word and desires. Since David had no drums in his worship, we can declare that the modern music that is based on drums is not God's music. If David were alive today and were to found a church with his music and worship, I doubt very much that it would become a megachurch. If we want to live forever in God's eternal dwelling place, called the Tabernacle of David, then it is imperative that we seek God for His pattern and that we do not choose the entertainment of modern music in our pursuit of God. How to Make Megachurches Small Again Over the years, besides the churches that our ministry began, a good number of pastors have asked us if they could become a part of our fellowship of churches. We have welcomed many pastors from different denominational backgrounds, but one of the requirements that we have always had is that their churches do not use drums in their worship. Almost all of the pastors who wanted to join Hebron Ministries and who had drums chose to comply with that requirement. Those who did not comply chose to go another way. Over the years, we discovered a tragic reality that exists in many hearts. People in the world and in the church have become addicted to the rhythm of drums. For that reason, music with drums is almost constantly heard in this present world wherever a person finds himself. This is generally the case whether a person is in a department store or buying groceries or pumping gasoline. Almost always, in this present Western world, music is being pumped through speakers and heard from birth to death. Many pastors who removed the drums from their churches discovered that most of the people attended their churches because of the rhythm of the drums, not because of their desire to seek the Lord. Without exception, every pastor who removed drums lost between 50 and 90% of their congregations. Many years ago, a pastor of the biggest megachurch in his nation asked me to join him as a co-pastor in charge of everything related to music and worship. I told him that one of the first things I would do would be to remove the drums, and warned him that he would lose at least half of his members. He was a man who sincerely wanted to do things God's way. So he said, I don't care. What I want is to have God's presence and blessing in my church. I accepted his invitation, and several months later, while I was seated on that church's platform, waiting for the service to begin, he approached me and said, Brother Marvin, you were right. I asked, Right about what, brother? He answered, About losing half of the congregation. We have already lost one-third. But proceed. I want God to be in this church. With the exception of drums, removing any instrument that is used in a church will have little to no effect on the attendance. If a pastor were to remove anything from the piano to the violins to the organ, most people would not even notice. But if the rhythm of drums is removed, 
Many will leave the church and look for another church that will satisfy their fleshly attraction to the rhythm of rock. Regardless of what spiritual blessing a church may or may not have, does this not reveal the purpose for which many people have been attending megachurches? Or maybe they have been attending a small church that is striving to become a megachurch by following the example of the successful. Removing the drums is a sure way to make a megachurch small again. Most certainly, that instrument made it big, and removing it will make it small again. Does this not strongly imply that the drum set is at least one of the invented instruments that Amos told us the leaders of the church would use in the last days? Of course, any pastor who longs for success, a big church, and lots of money will reject this message out of hand and will even mock it. He will find all sorts of points in this message with which he disagrees. I did not write this book for those kind of people. I wrote it for people who are hungry for God's presence, those who are hungry for spiritual reality instead of emotional entertainment in the name of Christianity. This message is for people who will say with the above pastor, I want God to be in my life and in my church, whatever the cost. Megachurches are a sign of the last days. In his parable of the wheat and the tares, Jesus explains what he will do in the last days. In that parable, when the servants of a landowner saw that tares had been sown by an enemy among the wheat in his field, they asked him if they should remove them. He tells them, Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Matthew 13.30 Later, in Matthew 13, the disciples ask Jesus to explain the meaning of that parable. He then gives the meaning of each detail in Matthew 13.36-43. He explains that the wheat represents his people, and the tares are people who belong to the enemy, even though they are in the church. He tells the disciples, The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Verse 39b. The Greek word here for angels simply means messengers. It is not necessarily a messenger from heaven. This is the same word used in Revelation 2 and 3, where the Lord speaks to the angels, messengers, of the seven churches. Except for two of them, he warns each one. For example, to the angel of the church of Thyatira he warns, Thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Revelation 2.20 This is obviously not a holy angel from heaven. Later, he reproves the angel of the Laodiceans. Because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Revelation 3, 16. Obviously, neither is this a heavenly angel. These angels are human messengers who are leading different churches. He continues with his explanation. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. Verse 40. He already said that the tares would be gathered first, and this will occur in the end of this world. The Greek word for world is defined as a period of time. 
So when we are approaching the end of this period of time or age, he will first send messengers who will gather the tares into bundles. He then defines the tares more clearly, saying, The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. Verse 41. Remembering that the tares are people, it is amazing that these people will be gathered out of his kingdom. This will occur as a first step in the harvest of the last days, only when both the wheat and tares reach maturity. Before that, it is not possible to distinguish one from the other. From Genesis to Revelation, over and over, we can see how Satan has desired to plant his followers among the true followers of the Lord, that is, tares among the wheat. Many scriptures tell us that there are false brethren in the church. Some are leaders and teachers, and others are simply members of a church. Either way, they bring a bad influence on others. Just as a person cannot discern between a tear and wheat until they are mature, so these people seem to be good Christians for quite a long time. They are among the believers. They are in the same field. The problem of tares among the wheat occurred at the beginning of Israel's history. When Israel departed from Egypt, we learn that a mixed multitude went up also with them. Exodus 12:38. There were Egyptians among them who appeared to be believers. But soon the mixed multitude caused Israel problems in the wilderness. The mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? Numbers 11:4. Israel fell also into the Egyptians' lust for the food of Egypt. The Apostle Paul gave this warning for all of us today. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Acts 20, 29, and 30. The Apostle Peter gave a similar warning, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. 2 Peter 2, 1-3. In the rest of that passage, Peter goes on to give much more detail than Paul gave about the false brethren. Read 2 Peter 2, 12-22 to see these details. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, so they are part of the church. Beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, doing that which will provide them with money. Cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, they have committed apostasy. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh. Those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. Is this a possible reason why so many renowned church leaders have fallen? For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
so they are in the kingdom. They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to its own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Jude 1, 12-19 gives a similar description of the false brethren. These are spots in your feasts of charity, when they feast with you. Again, they are in the church. Twice dead, plucked up by the roots. They were alive, but are now spiritually dead. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words. This is the same as Peter's description having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. This word means profit. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts, sensual, having not the Spirit. Does this not explain why so many church leaders fall into immorality? The following thought from the article, Wheat, Tear, and Weeds, Know the Difference, is a good summary of what is involved where there are tears, and it confirms that we are not alone in our assessment of the condition of many Christians today. Emphases are part of the original text. The tear is prideful and boastful. They are stubborn, reprobated, and self-endowed. They act like wheat. But get this, people! If you eat the seeds from the tare, it causes severe nausea, produces vomit, severe headaches, and a host of other illnesses. Be very careful, saints, as to who you let feed your spirit. The tare's job is to choke the life out of the wheat. Some of you sit next to these types of people in churches, at home, and in the workplace. What am I saying? I am not saying that all the people are tares who attend a church that uses music that is not God's music. What I am saying is simply what the Bible shows us, which is the following. 1. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-6, that before the coming of the Lord the church will fall into apostasy, and that the apostasy is related to Satan sitting in the temple of God and becoming the object of their worship. Paul taught that the church is the temple of God, and by definition, only the true church can commit apostasy, leave the way of truth. 2. If, during the last days, no problems were found in the church regarding false worship, then the Lord would not have to send Elijah again to bring restoration. Elijah's ministry of restoration, as seen in the Bible, is related to restoring God's altar and turning God's people back from the worship of Satan, Baal, to the worship of the true God. 3. The problem in the church has been caused by false brethren who have led God's people astray. In Elijah's day, they were called the prophets of Baal, and God led Elijah to destroy them all. Only the Lord is worthy to bring judgment on anyone, but something will happen in these last days to these false brethren who have deceived God's people for money, personal gain, and success. As 2 Peter 2, 1-3 tells us, They make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, 
God will bring his judgment to bear on the deceivers. But just as happened in Elijah's ministry the first time, the sincere followers of the Lord will be rescued from the deception and false way of those leaders. 4. God's people today are no better than the true people of God from any other age. And just as they were prone to fall into deception and apostasy, we are prone to do the same today. Human nature has not changed. Therefore, it should be no surprise that the church has fallen into heretical worship, as Israel did over and over throughout their history. As God did for them, we desperately need the spirit and power of Elijah to come to us once again. God has promised that His glory will definitely descend upon us in these days and rescue all who want to know the Lord and to be conformed to the heavenly pattern for His temple and eternal dwelling place. 4,000 people can't be wrong. Many years ago, a man who had been a leader for years in the church that I pastored attended one service of a church that used drums and Christian rock. The spiritual influence that came over him was so powerful and so appealing to him that he decided to move his family to a megachurch that used that kind of music. His wife and children, who were young adults, seemed happy to make the change. A short time later, he sent me a message that he wanted to talk to me if possible. Since I have hope for every soul who is still alive, I made an appointment to go to his house. To my sorrow, he was dying of cancer. And instead of reconsidering his previous decision to subject his life and his family to that influence, he confidently told me, 4,000 people can't be wrong. I did not respond. The response could have been a question. When was the multitude ever right in the Bible and throughout history? Starting with Moses when he led Israel through the wilderness, the multitude was always wrong. Over and over, throughout Israel's history, the multitudes that slew their prophets were always wrong. The entire nation of Israel was worshiping Baal in Elijah's time, with the exception of only 7,000 people, which demonstrated an inconceivably powerful spirit of deception that brought them into apostasy. That multitude was extremely wrong. During the ministry of Christ, the multitude demanded Pilate to crucify him. The multitude stoned Paul, and in recent history, the multitude supported and praised Hitler. The man who declared that 4,000 people could not be wrong died shortly after my visit with him. His children threw themselves into the world and its ways, making a shipwreck of their lives. As I have explained, even many of the leaders of modern worship that I have known personally have made a shipwreck of their lives, and the same happens to those who follow them. Do I claim to have heaven's pattern? In the depths of my heart, I know with certainty that my worship and that of the churches in our fellowship are still very far from heaven's pattern. We are still far from fulfilling the pattern seen in the tabernacle of David, and the same is true for the body of Christ today. How do we know? Because when that dwelling place is rebuilt spiritually in the church, Acts 15.17 tells us that all the Gentiles upon whom his name is called will seek the Lord. What a worldwide revival that will be! 
There will be no more competition in getting more members into our churches. Our spiritual boats will be sinking because of the multitude of spiritual fish that will fill them just like the disciples experienced. If you long to see that revival and to be part of it, then ask the Lord to give you a sincere longing in your heart to allow Him to conform your worship to the pattern revealed by King David. The Lord has permitted me at times to draw near enough to Him and to heaven to know that we still have a long way to go. But there are three things that I do have in my heart, and I encourage you to embrace these things in your own life. They are, 1. I have a desire to draw nearer to the Lord and allow His Spirit to conform me and those I am responsible for to heaven's pattern so that our worship will be a delight to the heart of our Savior. 2. I am willing to lay on His altar anything and everything regarding our way of worship if it is not in accordance to the Bible and the Lord's will. It does not matter in the least how much tradition it has nor how pleasing it is to the flesh. I am also willing to incorporate heaven's ways of worship that the Lord has ordained and chosen to include in His eternal dwelling place. In other words, I am willing to remove or to add anything that He asks of me. I want to live and worship in accordance to His perfect will. 3. I am not willing to incorporate any modern musical instruments into our worship. If at least some form of the instruments that we use are not found in the list of instruments in Psalms 150, those that David used and that God ordained, I am not willing to use them. We can enter heavenly places without using all the instruments that heaven uses, but we cannot introduce into heavenly places an instrument that God does not allow to be there. We will not be permitted to enter heavenly places while playing such an instrument. If a person believes that he does enter God's presence playing an instrument that God does not accept, he needs to discern whether or not the presence that he enters is God's or the presence of the anointed cherub, Lucifer. In the Hebrew Bible, the word for drum never appears, much less a drum set, and that instrument is definitely a new invention. Without the above three issues being a desire and a willingness found in our hearts, I doubt that we will stand before the Lord in the end with worship that has been conformed to heaven's pattern. On the other hand, if our worship has been conformed to his pattern, then we will be people who have become his dwelling place. If up to this point in reading this book, you have not yet listened to the CD recording that is included with this book, please do so now. As you listen, ask yourself if drums are needed to minister to the Lord with the song of the Lord, and if they would enhance that worship or detract from it. Some final thoughts. If the church of today, generally speaking, has not fallen into apostasy in which the son of perdition has found a place in her, then we do not need Elijah to come, and the coming of the Lord is not near. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 17, 10 and 11 that Elijah will come first and afterward he will come. The biblical signs are very clear and we know that the Lord's coming is at hand, as we saw in chapter 16. The rhythms of Africa are very seductive, 
as proven by the impact that Babatunde Olatunji has had on most of the famous musicians from 1960 onwards. Are you willing to allow those rhythms to influence your heart and move your carnal man to find pleasure in them? If not, then ask the Lord to grant you the grace to break the chains of the so-called Christian rock that the son of perdition has brought into God's temple. God seeks worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Will you be one of those in this present life so that you will be permitted to be one of those who worship the Lord eternally? It is more difficult every day to find a church that has not come under the influence of the son of perdition. However, throughout the earth, God has people who know him and who love his presence. Ask the Lord to lead you to those in your area that have not compromised with the ways of the world and its music. It is important to add here that the only criteria for discerning such people is not whether or not they use drums. That is only one issue. But God is able to give each of us discernment to know when we find true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the people I long to walk with. And if you have read this book to this point, you probably have the same longing in your heart.